city council members and assembly people and, you know, all of the people that are zoning and rezoning, and, and they need ideas and they need us to speak up and they need people from our, you know, our professions, our thought processes. They, they need help. And I mean, they, they can't, you know, do it alone. They can't pitch all of this to, you know, to state senators alone. They, they need help. So mm-hmm. I think that as a society, I'm hoping that we become, and I mean, right now there is a movement happening. I'm hoping that in general, we use the idea of movement and our voice more. Yeah. Hi everyone, and welcome to Inner Wealth, the Forbes Ignite podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Kakal, CEO of Forbes Ignite. And every week I'll be sharing with you my conversations with unique, creative, and innovative people across all different industries. These are people who are intellectually curious explorers who are also redefining what it means to be successful today. From personal to professional, we cover it all to understand what drives our guests to blaze their own trails and create nimble solutions within the industries that touch each of our lives. Our guest today is Leah Suarez Orozco. She's an extremely talented experiential designer who's worked with some of the world's largest brands like Tiffany & Company, Kate Spade, Adidas, and so much more. Part of her work is about activating truly immersive experiences. When we think about immersive, we think about how people interact with each other and also the spaces around them that enable these experiences. When I spoke to Leah a few weeks ago, we talked about how these experiences are shifting and in most cases, disappearing. We also talked about her own journey in revaluing her work and what these spaces represent. They're a place of gathering, connecting, and establishing community, but these communities have been disappearing given how the current system defines the values of things like real estate without even considering the people they serve. We not only investigate the concept of place and spaces, but we also investigate how to empower people to reclaim these spaces. I loved hearing Leah's story and I know you will too. Here's our chat. So yeah, thank you again for hopping on a well overdue call with me. I would love to hear about what's been going on since the last time we chatted and what's been top of mind for you. Yeah, so, you know, I've just been kind of, I had to put a pin in all of my projects pretty much. Mm -hmm. So um, I've been mostly pivoting. How can we make these happen in safe spaces? Because I mean, all of my work involves humans learning from each other in a physical space. So since mid-April, I've been just doing a bunch of passion projects. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a welcome break because I feel like without having, if, if quarantine didn't happen, yeah. I would probably be working myself to the bone as we mm-hmm. always do. As, as weird as it sounds or as like non-intuitive as it really is, it's, it's a time for us to be able to stay, to take a step back and to understand, okay, what really matters to me? And what I love the most about what you said was a lot of your work was really based on um, understanding like what the value of what physical spaces brought to people, what yeah. they brought to human beings being, being able to interact with each other. And now that we don't have these spaces, what exactly does space mean anymore? Or like, what, what are some things that you've seen working well or not well? And like, I would love to know your thoughts about that. Well, I really spent a lot of time thinking about why are we all kind of 
kind of like in, in we are all having this like inner turmoil. We mm-hmm. have been so isolated for good reason. And we really miss just common things, like, you know, touching someone on the shoulder or, you know, just being in close proximity to be able to gauge body language properly to, you know, have these like really, you don't really think about all these like minor things that you do in this space, you know, when it's happening. But now that we've been totally closed off, it's all amplified, a hug, you know, an arm touch or whatever, you know, it's, so now I'm thinking about space and I've, really been seeing a lot of, um, so, well, you know, the social distancing lines and all of that, you know, um, some people are doing it great. And some people are, I mean, are just totally fumbling. I mean, pharmacies, (laughs) pharmacies are like my worst nightmare right now. I live in a small Brooklyn neighborhood. Everything is like a small cramped pharmacy and, you know, you've got to get these things. And it's making me realize that I mean, real estate in New York City, we have, we're taking up so much space, like office space and ground level space. And I, I get like, I don't know much about retail real estate. I'm yeah. going to just say right now, but yeah. you know, something as essential as a neighborhood pharmacy, mm-hmm. I think we can vote, I mean, a little bit more space to yeah. when we have, you know, these giant chain corporations that just take up massive footprints and it's like where are our priorities yeah i'm going on a tangent about pharmacies but you know that's pretty much any industry you look at like where are our priorities why i i'm realizing you know now like why are why don't we have more community spaces why don't we have you know it it feels all like this big money game and i feel like we as a society are kind of like stop yeah, I was just having a conversation earlier and how we're going to refer to this as the era of quarantine, like pretty much forever. How, however, we don't really know when, what's going to happen in the next month, in the next two months, in the next six months. So what is this new potential way of valuing what space, uh, what space means to a society or what place can actually represent for for people that are working from home. I personally feel, and I'm sure that this is like a controversial statement, but I feel that the office space is dead. I feel that it we've proven that productivity is at an all-time high in the comfort of our own spaces. We're saving money by commuting le- money and time by commuting less and I think that going forward, you know, the option to go is definitely, you know, there and we should hold space for that, right? But I think that organizations and companies need to really rethink how, like, do they need to be so physically, does their presence need to be so large? Um, I feel like a lot of companies are always, not always, but a lot of companies are working towards social good. And I feel that a lot of those practices, those online organizations, those online, you know, donation um, sections of their websites, or you know, what good are we doing? I feel like those can get pulled into more of a physical space now. Um, if you are a food media group and you are working with the food banks of New York City, why, why, 
why wouldn't this moment be give up your office space for the food banks in New York City? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we have to kind of think that way in terms of the work sphere and like organizations taking up less space, but also doing more with what they have in the footprint. We as individuals actually do have more power than we think and we can actually um, make major change in our immediate space, in our immediate um, kind of like footprint in our neighborhoods, our homes, our blocks, our, you know, areas. Um, I, I was telling you about Inwood and why Inwood in New York City and Manhattan is so special. Um, while I was there, first of all, it's just historically an amazing place to know about it, to visit and to go. Um, that's where the Dutch purchased Manhattan, was that neighborhood. There's, the historic site is still there. Um, there's a lot of old Dutch farmhouses and just the history of the people in the area and the cooperation of different ethnic groups is really interesting from like an anthropological standpoint. Then you look at Inwood now and what it means now. And it is truly like the last bastion of the middle class, (laughs) like in New York city is one of the only places that you can raise a family with, you know, on a moderate income. And what was what the administration and developers were trying to do here in New York City was to redevelop that land and, you know, create high-rises, create what they were calling community gardens and docks, but we really know that they're just kind of like landing pads for those high-rises, right? Like it's not meant for the people that live on Post Street, which is a very, very low-income area. and that's unfortunate. So the people kind of really rallied together and pushed to stop the rezoning. And all of that to say it was a long battle of about four years, and they got the Supreme Court judge to rule in their favor. Um, basically, their argument, the people's argument of Community Board 6 was that the developers didn't do enough research on the environmental and economic impact on the neighborhood and the surrounding neighborhood um, because it is a waterfront and because there is a lot of um, socioeconomics at play here they really kind of just won that case by a landslide as long like as much it was it took a while but they really did win it by a landslide because I mean it's I don't know it's 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 all very complicated and it's it's magical that these people rallied, fought not only our local government, but fought powerful multi-billion dollar development people <laughs> and saved their neighborhood, essentially. And like, well, nobody's talking about it, but like, it's very special that they saved the neighborhood. And I know that like zoning is always going to be a point of tension. And I don't think that you know, we're trying to stop New York from growing. I think that we're trying, I think we need to backtrack and protect our people and protect our communities. Absolutely. And I think that this is the time to do it because we're analyzing a lot of our previous wrongdoings, our, you know, if this is the moment to unlearn and, re- and learn again, learn anew, like, I feel like we can totally make change in our immediate sphere the way that Inwood did. So. That's amazing. That is magical, the way that it happened. And 
I know you said that it is very complicated and it's complex, but you're able to describe it just so well and so eloquently with how they were, how the people were actually able to rally together and collectively they were able to make change. And it just starts with an individual, you know, it starts with one person, it starts with you. And we're going back to the concept of the people make the place. When we're thinking about New York City, when we're thinking about cities in general, um, no one actually moves to the city just to stay in their apartment all day. <laughs> I mean, oh. this situation that we're in right now, I'm sorry. Um, that's not really the full intention. And so I would love for you to talk more about the different community boards that you are personally involved with or some that you might have heard of and different really, like, really great stories that have happened within the, the past couple of years that really exemplify this type of change because the people came together. Yeah. I think the community board in Inwood, like, really, really left a magical, like, mark on my heart. Um, that, that really, kind of, like, backtracking as to, like, why do we scoff at the idea of community boards and civic engagement, that really flipped my world upside down, was watching those people fight. Because I was there. I, you know, I was not going to the meetings a lot, but I was watching them streamed and I went to two or three of them while I lived up there. And that kind of really got me realizing like, why do we laugh at this idea? Um, and I think it comes from a lot of, I think about a lot of my peers in my immediate circle. A lot of them are not from New York. I happen to be, my husband grew up here, you know, we are from here. And I think it's, I feel like for a lot of people, it's a temporary place, like you mentioned. Um, people move. And actually, I think the average person moves eight, every eight years. Um, and I think that's why people don't want to get engaged. They don't want to get too close to it, I guess. Um, or they just feel like, I'm leaving anyways. Or And this is the problem with gentrification, right? Like, we're taking a we're taking space from people that are not going to be here way longer than eight years. These people spend their lives in these buildings, apartments, neighborhoods, and I, the temporary. Oh, I'm in New York while I'm in young, or I'm in New York while X pushes more gentrification and removes us from civic engagement. What kind of change do you feel like really needs to happen? We were talking on the community level, which is incredibly important and when we when we extend that into you know we're thinking about how communities are looking at the different um how their how their space is being used um how what kind of change do you find needs to happen sooner rather than later especially at a time like now when we're seeing large vacancies um just existing all over the city and we also see um, societal systemic challenges like homelessness, for example. And when you see those two side by side, there's something wrong with the system. There's just something wrong up there that essentially needs to be thought through very deeply. Um, I mean, that's just one example, but I'm wondering what's top of mind for you of what needs to change? I'm thinking of so many levels right now. I'm, <laughs> um, you know, 
I think that the way that we look at pro- like property versus humans, um, why wouldn't we create space for those in need when no one is even using the space, buying the space, nothing's happening. You said space. I don't understand why we can't, at least in this, even in this temporary sense, help others. I, I just really feel that we need to look at, we need to analyze so many different systems and their direct link to people. And, you know, that whether that's like, real estate and land, whether that's, you know, typical financial institutions. Um, why is there so much oppression in these systems? Like why we need to basically create in my mind, create new systems in order for people to thrive. I, I don't think that these band-aids, these patches, they're not doing anything. The experiment feels like it's over. It's time to start scrap it and start a new experiment, please. Like, on all fronts, employ people that know what they're talking about. Employ experts whose life work it is to make the change on whatever level, transportation, um, real estate and land, you know, urban planning, um, environmentalism. Like, employ the people that really want to help others and know what they're talking about. I feel like I don't know if this is really answering your question. I, um, I just think that we come from such a selfish culture and we have to just start analyzing every little thing that we do, which can be exhausting. Yes. And it's exhausting if we, we as people, we as humans don't really know where to start as well. I love what you said that the experiment's over. No more analysis paralysis here. And if we were to give the megaphone to the people who, like you said, know what they're talking about, but also are speaking from their lived experiences, there's nothing more qualifying than expressing the lived experience of I've, I've experienced and I've dealt with a lot of the challenges that I am speaking about. I feel like those are the people that need the megaphone it's really just addressing the space, this huge chasm between the people in power, the people that with the wealth and the, the funds to be able to basically do as they please. And you have the people here that have been living in those neighborhoods basically forever, have been living in New York City <laughs> since forever. Yeah, how would, you, how would you feel about just this whole concept of re- reimagining the value of a place. I think my lat my, my latest um, term is like radical rezoning. It's like what really needs to be happening. Um, you know, I think that there's a laundry list of needs and I think coronavirus is the perfect example of a laundry list of needs. Um, I don't, I think that, what would be so interesting to see is, you know, pop-up clinics in these vacant spaces. Like the hospitals are inundated. If we were able to just in some way, shape or form, like tackle it area by area, especially low income area by low income area. Um, 
that's just like one thing. And my, my, my thought is I'm always having, I feel like I'm always having these conversations across the board. I feel like people are probably sick of me because I'm always like, power to the people. We have to talk about it. Um, but at the same time, it's like, if we average people are spitballing these ideas, like if it's like, we have so many ideas. Like if we just as average people have these ideas, I don't understand why, like, why are we being ignored? I guess it has to do with, you know, systemic um, racism and wealth distribution. <laughs> but I do think it starts with also acknowledging that we are not just average people. We are all inherently powerful with the potential of the contributions that we can make. And I think, I think it is, um, really just seeing past what we've been taught and really acknowledging that all the things that we have to unlearn that help us essentially activate. I think we are also always thinking about like now, at least my it's in the forefront of my mind. It's like, how do we bring people together safely? And I think um, the protests are like, an excellent example of how you can bring people together safely. The, the mask usage, the amount of um, sanitizer and cleanliness that's happening in those throngs of people are, that's an extreme example of safe making gathering. And I think it can also happen on a much smaller, like retreat level scale. Like, you know, the meeting of the minds still needs to happen, whether it's digitally or physically, like we all, we just have to, continue the conversation and continue to apply pressure no matter the cost no matter the mode of in which we're meeting and talking can always change as long as we're being safe but you know the conversation needs to keep going yeah how is this helping you or how is this enabling you to reimagine your line of work as well um and how what kind of impact you can make based on this new this, this new world that we're living in right now? I feel, I've been thinking about this for the past few months. I feel that I would love to see, and I know that this is a hindrance to my immediate job, but I would love to see brands that typically would, brands and companies and organizations that typically would funnel money into experiential marketing and experiential design. I'd love to see them somehow distribute that, distribute that money and, and their power more towards the people. And whether that's like me creating some sort of like safe pod network for people to like meet, you know, casually in some sort of space that has like um, sanitization stations and like, you know, just safe meeting places could be a great idea. Um, you know, just like, it's all very much like, conceptual right now but just seeing brands and organizations like putting people in safety first over just pumping out something for money just really putting more thought behind their dollars um and i'm so flexible in my ideas i feel like i want nothing more than to be flexible and to to give give what i can in whatever capacity i can designing whatever I could like it, it's just about I think changing our mindset a lot what would be your dream what would be your dream project 
uh, right now with a, a theoretical dream client? If you had unlimited funds, what would that be? I think it would be being able to take over a space and just create ongoing small 15 to 20 person workshops and that programming those workshops would be safe they would there would be sanitization stations <laughs> um but they would also just be whatever top you know people can submit what topics they would love to have a workshop on you bring in a, the expert of that topic and just have people just be able to, to see each other i mean i've recently expanded my um, quarantine bubble to add two more people and we saw them two days ago and they were like oh my gosh we haven't seen anybody in four months we've just seen each other for four months we ha and it was just like they were almost like emotional about it and I think that we have to be extremely mindful and extremely careful but I think that the idea of somehow it doesn't need to be grand it doesn't need to be big just being able to bring people together in some capacity in a in even better that it could be a learning way a learning tool a workshop that to me is just my my priorities like have shifted in in where I see my work going and um, I think it's it feels almost superficial the work that we were doing before not you and I I mean <laughs> <laughs> The, the experiential design and marketing world before, you know, we were educating through museums and, and whatnot and using and certain brands that were using education as a tool to communicate. But I think by and large, it was a lot of superficial work. And that makes me sad. It feels very wasteful. And I just want to be able to like, on a deeper level, give more to community. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think any of those previous experiences will ever be wasteful, Leah. Those, those are not wasteful. Those are all what have led us to where we are today and have led you to be able to, to introspect and to reflect on what your values are and how your values have shifted. And that's crucial. That is so critical before we can even think about a way forward. And you've done it. And the thing is, everyone, everyone gets to um, not just one any one particular point in their life, but multiple times in their life where they have to recalibrate uh, what, more or less what their values are and yep. where they want to go and what matters to them. Yep. It's what is the purpose? And, and when we have that answered, then we can really focus on the how, how do we get there? Yeah. We do this. <laughs> and I think that is essentially what you are doing and what you are enabling other people to do through experiences. Yeah. So yeah, none of the time is ever wasted. <laughs> I love that pep talk, <laughs> but I need it. <laughs> not a pep talk. It's the truth. It's, it's true. true. That's it for this week's episode of Inner Wealth. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and that you'll join us next week as we continue to explore all the ways success is being redefined in our ever-changing world. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Instagram at Forbes Ignite for more thought-provoking content and opportunities to engage with us. I'm your host, Nicole Kakal. Thanks for joining us.